0: Hey, God bless you. This is Pastor John Ryan Kane. Cantu. Uh, thank you for being a listener of the podcast. Uh, we hope that every message inspires, empowers, and uplifts your spirit. This message that you're about to hear uh, this morning is, is from a friend of mine. He's an apologist. His name is Eric Hernandez. Eric has an incredible ministry in apologetics, uh, which we will do- dive into a little bit here. But I wanted to announce to all our listeners that on April 28th, it's a Saturday evening. Uh, time is still to be determined. But Eric and I will be engaging in somewhat of a a mock debate. I'll be playing the skeptic. I'll be asking Eric many questions regarding the existence of God, uh, the morality of God, and uh, we'll also dive into some uh, biblical difficulties. This is going to be an evening for both Christians and skeptics. We hope that you can join us uh, for that event, but if not, we will be recording the podcast and bringing it to you. Uh, Once again, thank you for being a listener to our podcast. Stay blessed. Welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and it reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for being the God that you are. I ask, Holy Spirit, you would come into this place. We invite you to come even deeper into this place as you already are. You would take control of my tongue, my lips, my jaw. Let it be all of you and none of me. That you would move through me, Holy Spirit, and move through the hearts of your people. I rebuke any distractions, any setbacks, that... that the hearts of your people, will be receptive and ready to receive the word that you have for them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Turn to three people, if you would, and say, get hungry. Don't tell my son, please. He already eats a lot. Get hungry. Notice a prerequisite to being filled is that you first have to be hungry and thirsty. You want to be filled? You have to be hungry. You have to be thirsty. With that in mind, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. And I want to go over three instances of where God provided food for his people. And I want to look at what's going on here. I want to analyze and dissect this just a little bit. Matthew, excuse me, Exodus, chapter 16, verse 11. And this is when the children of Israel in the wilderness... And it says in verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Note that one of the ways God showed his people who he was, was by providing for them. God is a provider, and one of the ways he shows you who he is, is he provides for you. Even if you don't see it, even if your bank account does not reflect it, God says, You trust me, I will provide for you. In verse thirteen says, So it was, close came up at the evening, crowded and crowded the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the day, layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread for which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. So God sent manna from heaven, which is interesting because manna means, what is it? They didn't know what it was, so they called it, what is it, manna. And that's why Christ said, I am the manna that came from heaven. Because when they saw him, they said, who are you? As we read, the Bible says that God commanded them to take according to your need. That is to say, everybody has a different appetite, and according to your appetite, according to your capacity to receive substance, God will give you what you need. As we read on, it then says uh, in verse 17, So the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Verse 18, when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Notice the repetitive theme according to each one's need. The people who got a lot, they got a lot because they needed a lot and they didn't have anything left over. They ate it all. The people who only got a little bit, they didn't go to bed hungry because they got exactly what they need, even though the portion was smaller. I can eat more than my daughter. Obviously. Even though sometimes when we go like somewhere and they give us two servings, I'm like, which one you want? She'll pick the bigger one. I'm like, Why, you're not gonna finish it all. Let me have the bigger one. Or if she gets it, I'll just finish where she doesn't eat. So everybody has a different appetite, everybody has a different capacity for filling their stomach. Yes. However, if you read on, in verse nineteen, and Moses said, Let no one leave any of it until the morning. Verse twenty though, they didn't listen. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses grew angry with them. We'll finish there in verse uh, 22, excuse me, 20, 21. So they gathered it every morning, every man, according to his need, once again, and when the sun became hot, it melted. Something really interesting. If everybody gathered exactly what they needed, then what would that imply about the people who left some till the morning? One, it would imply that they weren't trusting God, that God would provide every single morning. Second, it means they went to bed hungry. When God gives you something, he expects you to use it. They gathered what they needed. I eat this much, here is this much, but I don't know if God's going to bring it tomorrow, so I'm going to save some. I'm going to go to bed hungry, and even in the next morning, when when they woke up, the Bible says it had worms and it stank. It wasn't good, so they went to bed hungry, and the next morning, what they tried to save didn't even work. How badly are you frustrating yourself by trying to help God out? What are you leaving till the morning because you think God won't provide? But Eric, you don't understand. I had a job I lost it. I had this much money. I don't have any more. I'm going to have to stop tithing so I can leave it for the next day. But then when the next day comes, you still don't have enough. I hope you wore still toe boots this morning. Each according to your need, yet the people who left one over went to bed hungry. Do not go to bed hungry spiritually or physically when you have a God that will provide for you daily. Whether you see it or not is irrelevant. Whether you know what it is or not is irrelevant. They didn't know what it was. They just knew it was what God gave them. There are things God is trying to give you. You don't know what it is, but he still is giving it to you and will provide for you. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do with it, you will lose it. Now, quite frankly, I do think this is a hungry church. So I think for the most part, I don't think this first, this first instance applies, but you see the relevance. So I want to turn to a second instance. In the book of Mark, chapter 6. You still with me this morning? Yes. Amen. Sorry if I'm talking fast, waiting for my ADHD medicine to kick in. And that wasn't a joke. I do have medication, so thanks for laughing at me. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. Verse 32. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived there before them and gathered together to him. So they're trying, so Jesus is trying to get away. He's been teaching all day. He wants to get away. It happens. I know the feeling. Sometimes it's nice to just rest. Sometimes it's nice to just relax. But these people were so hungry for what he had, they followed him on foot. Verse 34, and when Jesus came out and saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was far spent, he his disciples came to him and said, "This is a deserted place, and the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat." But he answered and said to them, "You give them something to eat." <laughs> yeah, isn't that you, God? I need this. I do it, God. We need this. Okay, get off your bottom and do it. And verse 38, he said, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found they had five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them to make all of them sit in the ground in groups on the green grass. They sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and broke two fish, and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves and the fish were about 5,000 men. So 5,000 men give or take, maybe multiply it by three one, one wife, one child, at least, some some more, some less. At least 5,000. Something interesting really quick. Now this I see as a group of people who are hungrier than the previous instance we looked at. Why? Because first of all, after he had done teaching, this is after service, when everybody else is rushing to get to the buffet line, they're rushing to go back to him and see, hey, we want some more. Of course, we've never had that problem here right now. He comes to them, but notice that this level of hunger, in order to be fed and filled, requires a certain level of discipline. They did not run into a, an AC environment padded pew church. They ran to a wilderness still looking for more. How far are you willing to go to get more? When they get here, he says, okay, let's see what we got. Show me what you have. And then he said, he told his disciples, he tells his disciples, tell them to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Notice the discipline. You've got over 5,000 people. Alright guys, will everybody get fed? Just calm down. We're going to have seats in groups of 150s. Let's go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 50, have a seat. Next group. Still got what? 4,950 to go. So there required a level of discipline for them to first receive what God had for them, which is to say, if you are not disciplined to receive what God has, if you are not patient, you will lose out on what God is trying to give you. This level of hunger requires discipline. It requires an action to do something. If you are truly hungry for something, you will show it by your actions. Hungry people do not sit still. Have you seen homeless people eat? They go for the food. They eat for the food. They're not picky for the food. You eat what is given to you and you are willing to, yeah, I'll stand in line. Yeah, I'll sit down. Yeah, I'll wait till everybody's done. I'll, I'll, I'll wait till everybody's counted and sit in hundreds and fifties. This is a deeper level of hunger. Why is this relevant to this church? I strongly believe that although we are hungry in this church, there is... God is requiring and asking of you this morning, for this church, I need you to go deeper, but I need more discipline. I need more action. I need more commitment. More than what you are already doing. You want more, it requires more. In order to get what you've never had, you have to do what you've never done. You cannot keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result. But I want to go to one more instance. How many have heard of this passage, the feeding of the 5,000? How many have heard of the feeding of the 4,000? Two people read their Bible, amen. Turn with me just a few chapters more. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 8. Chapter 8, I believe it's verse 30. No, excuse me. Chapter 8 from the first first passage. Similar situation. In those days, a multitude being very... Great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for, for some have come very far. Then his disciples answered, how can, we, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to them, also he set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, just like the previous. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about four thousand. And he sent them away. And immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to a region of I want to do a quick comparison. How many people in the first group? 5,000. How many in the second group? 4,000. There's a few things I want to to show here really quick. You can write this down if you like. You can put 5,000, 4,000. In verse 38 of chapter 6, the Bible says they had five loaves and two fish. You with me? In the 4,000, chapter 8, verse 5, it said they had seven loaves and a few fish, presumably more than two. Who has more food? The 4,000. However, when you look at what the Bible says, how many baskets were left over, in the 5,000, verse 42 says they ate and were filled, and there was 12 baskets left over. Now, you would assume that less people and more food means you'll have more fragments left over, correct? But when you read in chapter 8, verse 8, it says they ate and were filled, and there were seven baskets left. So if you have this written down and look, you will see that the 5,000 had less food... With more left over, the 4,000 had more food and less baskets. Why? Because I submit to you that although there are 1,000 less than the previous, the 4,000 were hungrier than the 5,000 and received something more than that, so much so that they ate more than the 5,000. How can 4,000 people eat more than 5? They're hungrier. See, sometimes in church, in our ministry, in our lives, we see God taking people out or less people tend to come. We have a church of 5,000. Now we have a church of four. God, what's going on? He says, nothing, you're doing good. Why? Because I'd rather have 4,000 hungry people than 5,000 lazy ones. But it gets a little more interesting. Not only did the 4,000 have more food with less left over, when you read and look, again, comparison, First comparison, in verse 35 of chapter 6, it says the day was far spent, meaning it was the same day that after service was over, figuratively speaking, they ran to Jesus. It's the same day. They're on foot. So wherever Jesus was at, it was short enough to get there on foot. In fact, the Bible even says, the disciples said, why don't you send them to the surrounding cities to get some food? Because they're hungry. But when you look at the 4,000, and here's where I want us to get. When you look in the 4,000, in verse 2 it says, I have compassion, they've been with me for three days. In fact, with the 5,000, they were close enough to their houses to run home and grab something to eat. They were close enough to the nearest city, to the nearest Taco Bell, praise the Lord, to grab some food. But with the 4,000, the Bible says um, in verse 3, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some have come from afar. What's the difference? The 4,000 were still in their comfort zone to where if things got too much and the pastor says something I don't like, I'm still close enough to home where I can can turn back. But with the 5,000, they were too far deep into it. There was no turning back. How close are you to your comfort zone? Are you here supporting the pastor and the vision of this church that God has given to say, I'm with you no matter what? Are you you here saying, you know what, I'm with you, but if you go a little too far, I'm just going to kind of, my house is about five minutes away, I'm good. Are you are you hungry enough to you come to church? You're faithful. You do what you have to do. You pay your tithe. You you worship the Lord. You're here. You're praying. You're serving. But if it gets a little too radical, if you you start getting, if you start doing those spiritual gifts kind of things, you know those people kind of... I I don't know. It's a little kind of crazy for me. I'm I'm a step back. I'm hungry. I want it. Don't get me wrong. I I I want to hear from pastor. I want to know what the Lord has to say. But if it gets too much for me, if you ask me a little bit too much, if I have to give up too much of my time, I'm good. I'm still close enough to my house. You're hungry. Don't get me wrong. You're, you're better than the first group. You're hungry, but you're hungry enough just to where, if it's convenient for me, I'll come. 5,000, he says, first of all, they've been with me for three days. They can't go home. Why? Not that they don't want to go home. Is that even if they try to go home, they're going to faint because they're so far away from their house. They've come with me this far. Why do you think there's only 4,000, not five? Because not everybody can go. When you read In the story of of, of sacrificing Isaac, when the servant of the Lord was there at the mountain, he told his servant, stay here, you can't go with me to the top. You can't take everybody with you. Why? Because they're not hungry enough. I really, truly, strongly believe that God is trying to bring a new level of of substance to this church. I strongly believe that God is going to bring something new into this church, but not everybody can get there if you're only there and you're close enough to home to where you're comfortable which is to say, don't blame it on the pastor if, it's not, if nothing's happening. Don't blame it on the next person. Blame it, look no further than the mirror in front of you, because how hungry are you? Can you again turn to three people and say, get hungry? If you want this, you note, the 4,000 got something the 5,000 did not get. Why? Because they were further. The 5,000 5, said, yeah, I'll go with you one day. Two days, no. Three days, forget about it. 4,000 said, no, I still want it. I still need it. As we read on, this was not a walking distance. They were not close enough to home to get back to where they needed to be. In chapter 6, verse 39, the Bible says to tell them to sit on the green grass. In the other instance of the 4,000, it says to sit on the ground. Biblically speaking, when the Bible mentions the word green and grass or pastures, it's an indication that there is provision. It's an indication of something safe. It's prosperity. That's why the psalmist said in Psalms 23 He makes me lie down on what? Green pastures. Why? Because green pastures, green grass, it's safe. There's vitality. I can see life, I can see things happening. I can see my bank account, and it's in the green. I can see God moving. 5,000, they got to sit in the grass. I see the green. 5,000, doesn't mention grass. It's a wilderness. doesn't even say anything. It says sit on the ground. Again, I ask, how comfortable are you? How hungry are you? I'm willing to follow the vision of this church. I'm willing to follow the pastor. I'm willing to follow what God has called me to do as long as I can see grass. As long as God, as long as I see you moving, I'm good, but if I don't see you moving, we got an issue here. I can attest this, and so many times in my life, my wife can tell you we've experienced this. I know Pastor and his family's experiences. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't see God moving and you're still faithful? don't tell me amen when you have a great job and everything's going great and your family's good, no one's having trouble, no one's getting divorced, no one's in jail, no one's calling you to pick them up, no one's drunk on the side of the road, everything's good. Don't tell me that God is good in that instance. Tell me God is good when you've lost your job. Tell me God is good when you're having marital problems. Tell me God is good when your child's sick. Tell me God is good in those instances. When you don't see green grass, when you don't see signs of life, there are no signs of life, but God, you're faithful. There are no signs of things changing, but God, you're faithful. I don't see the end of the road, but God, you're faithful. Amen. How hungry are you? Are you willing to do something for the Lord? In the ministry that I'm in, I've met lots of other great apologists. God is, thank God, He set me before some pretty, pretty guys high up there. Not too long ago, I was on a podcast of probably the world's most famous. Wide known a Christian apologist has a podcast. He actually featured one of my debates on his podcast. I was like, wow, praise the Lord. With that being said, some other apologists, I won't mention the names, also very well known. I've talked to them. And one of them one time said, Yeah, I was talking to my son the other day, and he's saying there's no evidence for God's existence. He's agnostic. And he kind of laughed, and it kind of looked like a nervous laugh. And I thought to myself, you're one of literally, literally one of the world's greatest apologists in this area. And your son's agnostic. Another gentleman I know, same situation. I don't want to give too much details, because I don't know if this is being recorded or not, but another apologist, one of his children not only is now an atheist, but is actually doing things that they should not be doing, involved in things they should not be involved in. It was on the news. It's, on, it's online. You can even look it up. Don't ask me the name later. I won't tell you. I, I, I've got five more to go over I can tell you about. Even ministers that you know, again, won't mention the names. Children, not, not saved. Now, granted, 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 yes, I know we have free will. You, your children can go any way they want. I know this. I know, I know, I know. But I also know the Bible says raise your child up in the way of the Lord. He won't depart when he gets old. What, what am I getting at? I have made a decision, and I've even asked my wife, check me on it if I ever deviate from this. First and foremost, my family comes. It's God and my family before ministry. Why? Because what does it matter if I gain the whole world but lose my family? I heard one pastor once say, I want to be a preacher like Noah was. He preached for years, possibly hundreds of years in making the boat. How many people did he get on the boat? Eight. But guess what? I want to be a preacher like that. If I don't get anybody else in the boat, I will at least get my family. But what does it take when your family falls apart? What does it take As a man, if I can speak to the men, as a head of the household, the one who should be in charge, should be praying over your family, what are you doing right or wrong? Are you reaching the whole world but not giving any attention to your family? Are you not being the husband you should be, which I know I need to work on, ask my wife. Am I not being the person I should be? Because first and foremost, my ministry and your calling and your ministry is to your family. If we do not raise up godly children and and men and women in the church, we will lose this culture. If you look statistically speaking, here's where it relates to apologetics. Statistically speaking, you are more likely to be an atheist if you are a Caucasian male with a father who was absent or not present ever. Because ironically, the atheists, because they had no father figure, they want to kill the heavenly father figure so no one else has a father. I've seen the pain with these people. I, I've talked to them. I've talked to some of them. Again, I won't mention names. Fairly well-known atheists, and they've told me stories about my mom, my dad won't let me talk to my mother when I became an atheist. I can't go home. They kicked me out. They forced me into ministry. I didn't want to go. They kicked me out. I said, man, I'm sorry. Oh, don't worry about it. Another guy, similar, tell me, yeah, my, my mom told me told, tells me, you know, that when, when she goes to heaven, she's going to pray that God just wipes Her memory of me, she doesn't even want to think of me because she knows I'll be in hell. She won't come to anything I do. She won't support it. She can't stand me. She's embarrassed of me because I'm an atheist. But I still love her. I say that to say, if I'm not doing my job as a father, as a husband, I'm making my apologetic ministry harder because now I'm creating more, more people susceptible who are missing that earthly father who won't pay attention to the heavenly one. I say that to say, how hungry are you? What's worth more, seeing green grass and making money, or spending time with your family? Which I strive to do. When I ask my wife, I know I'm busy. Would you like to do something? You want me to cancel this? You want me to cancel that? What can we do together? Can we pray together? We've had big fights before, and afterwards, like, let's, 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 can we pray? Can we pray together? Can we do something? Because no, even if I don't see the green grass. Even if I'm too far from home, I can't get close enough to walk. I can't turn back now. God, I'll follow you because I'm hungry. God, what does it take? I'll do it. I'm hungry. God, call me. Send me. I'm hungry. There's no green grass, I know. But you're too far from home. It's not safe, I know. But I know in whom I trust. As David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. God was a provider. He provided for his people. He fought for his people. What makes him any different if he's the same God today, yesterday, and forever? How hungry are you? I cannot stress that enough. What are you looking for? What are you needing? But what are you doing? Don't say you want to be at this level when you're you're only working this level action. I've seen people say, man, Eric, I want to be where you're at. I want to do what what you're doing. Or I want to be like that minister, that minister. No, you don't because you don't know what they want to do. You, you you think you think I just woke up and just started? You, you, you know I still get hate from both Christians and atheists. Christians says I don't like what you're saying. This is not biblical. Atheists says Well, you're stupid. You're ignorant. Well, I, you know, maybe I guess, but my focus is not them. It's God. It has to be, because at the end of the day, when I go to heaven, God's gonna say What'd you do with your family? What'd you do for me? What happened? What went on? Did you at least reach your family? Did you do what I told you to do? Because if you think about it, this life is so minute. Paul said it's like, it's, it's passing, it's fleeting. This life is so quick, it's like a vapor. It comes and goes. It's so, it's so, few, it's so small. And if you think about it, is it worth putting the time and effort in this life, knowing that in the next life I brought so many more people with me? I don't care what you wear, how you smell, well, a little bit. Uh, 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 what, what kind of car you drive, what are you doing for the kingdom, what are you doing for your family, how hungry are you? I strongly believe God wants this church to go deeper. I really do. When I prayed about this and, and Pastor uh, uh, Cantu said, what, you know, uh, what topic, he said, whatever's on your heart, I said, well, I do have something on my heart for you guys. Last thing. In verse 39 of the 5,000, he tells his disciples, you tell them to sit down. With the 5,000, the Bible says he tells them himself. Jesus talks to them himself. Why? Because there are some people, some levels of hunger, that God cannot talk to you directly because although you're hungry, you're not disciplined. You can't take correction because if pastor says, hey, you know, I was praying about this, and you, oh, pastor, you're just mean. You're you're offending me, pastor. I I just don't want... I know not here. It was that other church I was at the other week, Uh, so even God himself can't talk to you because you can't handle it, so he sends a messenger. But there is a level of hunger that you reach where God says, let's talk one-on-one, because I can trust you. There's maturity. There's growth. You don't need the green grass. You don't need the safety and comfort of your home being not too far. You don't need that. You, I know that you're looking for me, so let's talk and be real. Let's be honest. Have you ever been so mad at God, you said, God, I think you messed up here? I have, plenty of times. Why? Because I know he can handle it. And one, because he already knows I'm mad at him. So it's not like, what? You're mad? Oh my gosh, what do I do? I express myself. God, in the Old Testament, God says, present your case. It's, it's, it's called a ream case. It literally is like a court case. God says, present your case to me. What do you got to say? Tell me. Job, what's going on? What, were you there when I created the, uh, the foundation of the earth? And he talks and speaks. And, and, and there's a level of communication to where you're so real with God. You are yelling and screaming, but you're still saying, God, but I still trust you. But let me tell you how I feel. I don't like how you're doing things, but you know what? I trust you. I don't see the green grass, but I trust you. I'll sit. I am hungry. How hungry are you? Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at PrimeraIglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.